welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Thanks for joining us. Hello! Last week, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and the ancient god that appeared before us is called Kamisama Dolls. This series began as a 12-volume manga series in 2006 and continued until 2013. It was then adapted to a 13-episode anime series in 2011, which is the show that we watched. The backgrounds have been pretty easy the past few weeks, which has been nice. (laughs) We watched the first four episodes, and we'll try to avoid major spoilers, but there might be a few for the early episodes here. Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis of the plot? Kyohei recently moved to Tokyo to escape the ghosts of his past and attend college. It won't be long before his troubles he left behind catch up and threaten his peaceful new life. When an old friend shows up in Tokyo, Kyohei has to help his sister as she trains in the secret arts of the rural village where it all started. Well, it seems like, unlike some of the shows that we've been watching more recently, there's actually quite a bit going on in this one in terms of the plot and the characters. So... I think one of the things we might want to start with is just explaining what these things are. And you had mentioned the, like, secret art of the village that the main character and his sister came from. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So, I think this is strange to kind of put into a few amount of words. Really what it is, is this village along with another village has made some sort of, I guess, an alliance with these godlike creatures that kind of resemble robots. Yeah, I mean, I think calling them creatures maybe not quite the right word. Um, they call them quite a few things in the show. Their formal name is the Kakashi, but they also refer to them as gods, like we had mentioned, or as dolls. And the reason for that is that these are not autonomous things. Uh, They are controlled by the mind of certain people who have been kind of put in charge of them. Yeah, there's a blood connection that happens between the kind of like the master and the doll um, that who's ever controlling it has to give the doll some of their blood in order to have that sort of psychic connection. The the real, like, origins and purpose of these things is kind of unknown at this point. Uh, they've only sort of briefly mentioned where they were discovered and when and, and stuff like that. And they also show that uh, originally they just kind of use these things for manual labor because they can move fast and they can pick stuff up and they can, you know, do demolition with their big lasers. <laughs> Um, but eventually, obviously, they use them as weapons and, and methods of protection. And they don't seem to have, like, any visible life outside of their partner who controls them. And our main character is one of the people who used to control these things, the Kakashi. The term that they use is Seki, which is, is one of the people who had this kind of psychic blood connection with the dolls. And um, I was kind of unclear on if this position is chosen as like some sort of family lineage thing, or is it just somebody who happened to be gifted with the ability 
Um, or is it just like an amount of authority that's given to someone? Uh, our our main character is talking at one point and seems to indicate that that they are chosen because he was he states that he was sort of unchosen because he says he wasn't like good enough and then his little sister was given the task in his stead. Yeah, he and his sister come from like you had said a rural town, a small village kind of you know, mostly just like a few families, it seems, kind of run this village. And he was part of like this, I guess you would call it a priesthood or something that knows about the Kakashi and manages the Seki and everyone who's involved with the dolls. Yeah, and they have quite a bit of influence because something we'll find out later is even people who have left the village to go live in other places, they still can be called up to do favors if it involves something about something that the Seki need or something like that. Yeah. And uh, like you said, Kyohei, for whatever reason, has left his position as a Seki. We know that there were some traumatic events in his life that we get a lot of flashbacks about. But no information. Yeah, they they haven't really said what exactly happened. Uh, but the very first scene in the show is like him running away from this brutal scene as a child. And then there's flashbacks of like him and his weird friend guy in a room with dead bodies everywhere. And that one keeps popping up quite a bit. And the first scene from the show hasn't really come up again, which is strange. Yeah, and there seems to be a like sizable time gap between those two scenes because he, he seems like mostly an adult in the the one where they're like in a room full of bodies. He's at least an older he's not a child, he's probably a teen. And after he, he makes this decision or he is forced to leave the position of Seki, he moves to Tokyo, he goes to college and he kind of this is where we pick up, basically. It's him wanting to settle down and just kind of have a normal existence. And that's pretty rudely interrupted by him stumbling upon at least a dead body. I can't remember if there was more than one. I think it was just the one. Uh, yeah, so Kyohei is is out at a party with some college friends. Um, and he runs into a classmate named Hibino who ends up being, like, one of our main characters through the show. And he gets super drunk, and Hibino, like, stays with him while he's passed out. And as they're leaving the party together, they just stumble across this dead body. And then his sister shows up. Yeah, and, like, the connection is kind of weak there between the two events. And the, the dead body that they stumble across, like, is just totally brushed over. They talk to the police briefly, and then it never comes up again. And was it just me, or did it look like a samurai? It did. Which is also unexplained, because nothing else in the show has been like medieval Japan or anything like that. The only thing I can kind of think of is, one, if they were like in a themed restaurant, which we couldn't really tell, or his sister wears like priestess garb. 
So I don't know if that was supposed to be like her bodyguard or something. Like maybe they also dress in very traditional garb. That's kind of a long shot on my end because it is not explained, but that would be two of my best guesses. Either way, they they leave that party and he ends up back at his apartment where his sister just kind of shows up there and she's brought a friend with her. Uh, And that friend is Kukuri, which is the name of the doll that she controls. And it used to be the one that he was in charge of as well. Yeah, and you immediately get the sense that she's not super gifted with controlling him. Yeah, this thing can like phase through floors and and walls and stuff. And it just kind of pops up in all sorts of random places when it's not supposed to. We get maybe like a minute of them just talking and you being introduced to the doll for the first time before that is also rudely interrupted. Yeah, there's like a minute of exposition where they explain that the reason why she's visiting is because his childhood friend escaped from prison and then he just shows up. Yeah, seemingly to chase him down, I guess, but It's weird because the timing is just kind of all over the place. He's been at college for a while now because he already knows these people that he went to the party with. And his friend Aki escapes from prison, chases him down, finds him at his apartment on the same night that his sister shows up. But if Aki was going for Kyohei, why did his sister get to him first? Because like we said, she's not very good at this thing. Uh, She couldn't have, like, gotten there any faster than Aki could have. Yeah, because he's significantly more talented with his abilities to control than she is. And I think that says a lot for the pacing of the show, because this is all one episode, and I'm pretty sure the episode didn't end right there either. So there's a lot happening very quickly, and... That's kind of every episode that we watched was it's jam-packed with a ton of stuff happening. And if something isn't immediately happening, then there's a lot of exposition going on. Yeah, because immediately following that scene, Utao, his sister, like gets into a fight with Aki and his Kakashi, who is also there. And they end up like blowing up part of his apartment and blasting through the window into the street and then eventually they manage to like catch him and some other guys from the village like take him back to prison and then they talk to the police again because his apartment blew up and nobody says anything about that that he had these two weird incidents in one night no i didn't actually think about that that <laughs> these are like happening at the same time and then Lo and behold, his village calls in on a favor with somebody that's living in Tokyo for him and his sister to stay at their place. And it just so happens to be his attractive classmate that he had just asked out. Right. Specifically her father, I guess, Mm -hmm. who uh, used to live in the same village. And like we said, it's a small village and... Whatever, the chances of that happening, etc. But then they like end up moving in with Hibino and her dad. 
because his apartment is blown up. And then Hibino, like, finds out about the dolls because they can't just, like, hide it somewhere. Yeah, and and her dad had to explain why he was suddenly compelled to take them in. And apparently he had never explained, like, the village in which he grew up in to her because he wanted to keep her out of it. And so more exposition happens to tell her and us about the nature of the village and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and that's the end of the first episode. Yeah. So it bounces rapidly between these weird, like, slice-of-life kind of scenes and action fight scenes and character interaction and then lore dumps and all of this just kind of happens right away. And the other three episodes, kind of nothing happens. What I mean by that is, like, Aki obviously escapes from prison again. (laughs) And they spend the rest of the three episodes, like, chasing him around. And they meet some other Seki who are also chasing him around. And then just weird, out-of-the-blue things happen, like, oh, we meet another Seki who looks just like Utau. And it's revealed that they have a long-lost sibling. Twin sibling. Uh-huh. So it's just like, there's nothing actually progressing or happening. It's just a bunch of weird story beats that they've kind of tossed into the mix. Yeah, and if you were to actually ask me about any of these characters, like, what are they like? And how do they react to things? I actually couldn't tell you anything. Because they're either in the middle of some sort of action or they're just dumping information about the Kakashi and how they work and how they operate. And there's no actual character exposure. So you don't actually spend any time getting to know the characters because they're just doing things or they're just talking about things and not about themselves. And so I couldn't actually tell you anything about their personalities or what they're like. But I'll tell you what, they do lay it on real thick for one character, and that's Aki. Yeah. Because, man, do they want you to think this guy is evil. Yeah, everything that he does is just, like, filled with venom. Like, everything that he says is just rude and hateful and has this underlying threatening tone to it. And that's just his character. Yeah, and all these flashbacks we talked about with the main character, like, in a room of dead bodies, seemingly is all because Aki just, you know, slaughtered them all. There's one other character who I would say is uh, more of a support character than a main character, but she's the only other person that has, like, any sort of personality or motivations, and that's Kuko. She's mostly there for comedic relief, not because she's inherently funny, but because she's just kind of crazy. Um, She's just really bored with her life and is obsessed with the supernatural. And she's very high strung and just really wants to accomplish her goals. So everything's kind of exaggerated with her. And she's out of the loop of information. So you're watching her try to figure things out. And sometimes her conclusions are just amusing. But as much as they try to make Aki seem evil, I see Kuko being 
evil and, and just her obsessive nature. Yeah, and it's also revealed that her father is like the chief of police or something, because of course that'll come into play later, I'm I'm certain. Mm-hmm. And we actually see her like start to obsess over Aki specifically because he's the one who's basically around when she's discovering all this stuff. So she thinks he's the key to like figuring out what's going on. Yeah, and she ends up kidnapping him when he gets knocked out in battle and she interrogates him. It's kind of crazy. And then they decide to live together. Again, strange. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion on story and characters. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll continue our discussion. Would you like to kick off our conversation about the production? Uh, I don't have much to say about character design specifically. They're all pretty kind of standard looking characters for this era. And there's no like crazy defining features. Um, Our main character is pretty boring looking. Aki is like the typical super bad guy with the bleached like white hair and piercing eyes and all of that. I would say that Kyohei's little sister, Utao, kind of looks like she belongs in a different show. And I just mean that and like, they don't like just kind of make her look younger and cuter. It's it's like her lines and her features are completely different than all the other characters. To the point that where like, if you look at the thumbnails of all the episodes and there's one with her in it, you're like, is that the same show? Yeah, she especially is drawn in a way that she is intended to look younger. So her eyes are bigger, her head's bigger, her body is smaller. But the way that she's colored and the way that she's drawn does have a different style. It's more what you think of like stereotypical anime characters to look like. The only other thing I would say is if the girls are post-puberty, they all tend to be pretty chesty. Um, They're not really... like showing revealing clothes or anything. Um, They're just disproportionate in that space. I I wouldn't even say it's like the age of the character. I would say it's like if they're an older person and they are one of the primary characters. Like all the the incidental characters kind of look pretty normal. Mm. And then Hibino is just a disaster. Like... (laughs) proportions that do not make any sense no she'd have real real anatomical problems uh one other thing that's kind of related to character designs is that everyone kind of looks like they're blushing all the time Mm-hmm. this is uh super apparent in the first episode because they're out at like a bar and everyone's drinking And so they do the typical anime thing where drunk people have, like, red lines on their face to show that they're drunk. But it kind of just never goes away. Yeah, after that scene, they still have those kind of marks. So whereas first 
you thought, oh, maybe it's because they're drunk, then you're then you're led to believe, nope, this is just how people look. In terms of the animation quality itself, I actually kind of like it quite a bit. There is some really quality attention to detail, especially in the backgrounds. Um, the characters are, you know, like like we said about the designs, they're solid, but there's nothing spectacular about them. And they they do a really good job of consistency with the characters and like really good character animations and making sure that everything looks natural and doesn't look stilted. Uh, but specifically in the backgrounds, uh, there's a scene in the first episode where Kyohei is walking through a subway station. And if you pause on like any frame of that, that scene, it's really kind of impressive how it looks. Um, it's almost like they took a photograph or a live action video and then had the character uh, kind of a more like flat hand-drawn character walking in front of that scene. And then they do some interesting like depth of field kind of processing and stuff like that to make it seem really interesting and three-dimensional and dynamic. We've talked about this with some other shows that have done really good background detailing where when you look at the background there's enough detail that it feels real it feels like people are here they're living in this space but it's not cluttered with so much detail that it feels like they were trying to force it it feels very natural and you can see that difference between the urban scenes and the like nature scenes so like when they go by this lake and it's in this forest area that's pretty much all you see you just see a bunch of trees and you see the lake and there's a lot of really good detail there but it doesn't feel like they added things to take up space or to look interesting they're just sort of like this is what a park looks like is a lot of trees and water and and that's it and I think there was a good intentionality with a lot of their background designs yeah, and, and with detail stuff, too, um, they draw attention to, uh, like, those little details on occasion in ways that I don't usually notice in other shows. And now I'm wondering, is that because I just miss those details or because the other shows just aren't doing it? So, for example, there's a scene where Kabino is in a car uh, on her way somewhere and you notice that there's a wagon wheel effect on the vehicle as it's driving through. Which is where, like, even though a a wheel is rotating in one direction, it, it actually looks like it's going way slower than it is, or it looks like it's going backwards. It's called the wagon wheel effect. And they show that detail really well, and they're not, like, drawing attention to it. It's not, like, zoomed in on the car, look at our wagon wheel effect, and then they, you know, pan away. It's just a little detail that was executed well enough that you, you can notice it without it being distracting or unnatural looking. So one thing we should probably talk about is the design specifically of the Kakashi, since they're such a prevalent part of this show. They do have a robotic look to them. Um, they don't look like dolls or puppets, I think, in the way that we would kind of picture them. They're sort of these rounded, almost animal looking. The one that Utao has kind of looks like a, a rabbit. It has these really round features and it has 
it, it just has this look that reminded me a lot of, of a rabbit. And, and some of the other Kakashi have other kind of abstract animal looking features to them. Yeah, I guess it's worth noting that even though these are called dolls on occasion, like these are big things. They are substantially larger than the people who control them. So they like ride around on them and stuff. Um, and it's weird because everything I read said that they're made of wood, which seems weird because they look robotic. They look metallic. Um and in fact, like, they take them underwater at one point, and they show them, like, cleaning it off later. So I I don't know if I just read something that was wrong or if that's a real nice wood that they're using. <laughs> um, and I also noted that the Kakashi designs are kind of in line with the character who is controlling them in the sense that, like, the one that Utau uses kind of looks friendly and like a nice happy robot and then you've got like Aki's who is dark and kind of nasty looking and its weapons are like big blades that come out of its arms so they're really just kind of like hammering it in the the kind of surface level character qualities of the people who control these things even their coloring is opposite of each other uh, Kukuri is white with these little bit of black markings. And Aki's Kakashi is very dark, like a lot of these blacks and purples with a lot more angular looks as opposed to the sort of rounded bunny ear looking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing that kind of expresses the personality of the Kakashi itself and the person who controls it is that they each sing a little song. Yeah, it's not really a song with lyrics. It's just sort of this melody sometimes, and it's unique to each Kakashi. Yeah, it almost sounds like maybe a Vocaloid kind of thing uh, with no lyrics, like you said, but more of just a humming sort of melody. And they're actually, like, really catchy. The After we watched the first episodes, we it was just in our heads the rest of the day. <laughs> but in terms of personality, like, the main character's Kakashi is kind of this sweet, gentle melody... And it's cute. And then some of the more menacing ones have a more aggressive sort of song that they do. Yeah, and they tend to be lower pitched as well. Yeah, and the, kind of the weirdest thing about the songs is that they seem to be pretty inconsistent with when the songs are actually played. Because it seems to be basically any time the person is controlling it and moving it around... But sometimes that just won't happen, and there doesn't seem to really be a perceivable distinction that would cause when it's playing versus when it's not. They've also not really talked about if it's something everyone can hear or if it's something that only certain people can hear. Nobody's really acknowledged that there's a song going on, so that's also kind of confusing. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think for me, the only other place where 
music was really noticeable for me was in the intro. And I actually liked the intro for a couple different reasons. One, the music in the intro had this really cool acoustic thing going on. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that the song is catchy, like I can't recall the melody and and how it goes, but when I was listening to it, it was pleasant to listen to. I almost kind of wish there wasn't singing with it. I wish I could have just heard the acoustic melody because it, it was so lovely. But part of what stood out about the intro was that they used the animation in tempo with what was happening in the song. So the animation itself wasn't inherently impressive. Um, it's a lot of the characters standing, looking at the camera, showing a showing a portrait. And there were these geometric shapes that were kind of translucent that were moving across the screen. And if you paid attention, the shapes were changing with the song. So if there were certain melody parts that were happening in the song, the shapes were moving alongside with them, or they were just happening on tempo with with the music. And I just thought that was a nice cohesive touch to have the animation be so well-timed with the music, which is not always something that we see. Sometimes it feels like the music and the animation happened separately. So, Kayla, do you want to kind of start wrapping up our discussion by talking about your general thoughts and overall likes and dislikes for the show? So I think that this show has a lot of the right elements, but not a great execution. Um, Mostly when it comes to the characters, there's things about the show that can be very interesting, but because of the pacing of the show is... There's just this constant tension between dumping all of this information that they feel will get me to care about the characters and action sequences to, you know, keep you from getting bored. But there's nothing actually going on with the characters. I kind of said this earlier that if I were to really think about the characters and what they're like, I don't really know. I see them react to things, but I don't know why they're reacting the way that they do because they don't spend any time getting to know the characters. They don't show me anything about them because they're just constantly talking about what's going on. And they're not even talking about their feelings about what's going on. They're just stating facts. And so it's hard for me to get invested in a show that doesn't have much going on with the characters themselves. I see them doing a lot. I hear them talking a lot. But you could switch them out with any other character and it wouldn't make a difference. All of their roles could be changed and it wouldn't change anything that happened in the show because nothing is happening because of their motivations other than with Aki. And that just makes it hard to care about what's happening to them. And even so, Aki's character development has been very bad, in my opinion. First of all, the whole imprisonment thing. Like, when you see these scenes of him being in prison, these are like big wooden bars that he could definitely slide right through. Um, And also, we've seen, like, they can summon their Kakashi from anywhere. 
and they like phase through walls and stuff. Like he could have totally gotten out of prison. And so they're either just kind of brushing over the fact that he was in there or there's going to be some big reveal that like he was just hanging out there and he's actually not that bad a guy. Uh, and they they keep throwing hints at stuff like this all the time where like the main character will get mad and like he'll kind of get an angry tone and he'll throw some punches at Aki and you're supposed to think, well, maybe like he's not as good as he thinks he is or as they're kind of portraying him to be. And meanwhile, Aki, you just see these, they constantly throw back to that scene of Aki standing in front of dead bodies everywhere being like evil, evil, evil. And he's got all of these characteristics of the stereotypical evil guy, but it all feels like it's leading to a big twist. He's not actually evil and the main character is kind of messed up. Or, you know, that crazy lady who kidnapped Aki earlier is the bad guy or something. Yeah, and it feels like they're just really inconsistent with their characters. There's times when the main character will encounter Aki not in a battle and they'll just be like talking. And he's like giving Aki food and being like, here, eat this. And for a second, I didn't even realize it was Aki because the tone of that scene was so weird that I actually had to sit and be like, I mean, that's Aki, right? Like, what is happening? And so I think it's kind of what you're saying. The characters don't show me anything about themselves. It's just constantly everyone talking and saying the things that make it, you know, really obvious that that this is going to have a twist later on that is supposed to be shocking, but it won't be. Yeah, they keep laying it on so thick with all of the characters. And if they are going to pull the rug out from under us and go, you know, Aki isn't so bad, they're laying it on way too thick uh, right up front. Just like overblowing his super villain, like over the top murderous evil guy just to be like big shocker. Uh, he's not actually bad. And I think that's kind of just the general tone for this show is that it keeps showing like this really false sense of gravity and this overblown dark tone and an overblown sense of like horror and violence. And none of that is actually happening. And all we know is that at some point in the past, it kind of did. But even that, we don't know the story. So they're just trying to pretend that things are horrible and bad and that Aki is evil, but I don't actually think any of it is. Yeah, it's like they think if they say it enough times in the dialogue that it'll just make it true. But that's not how good writing works. This show also thinks it's so clever. <laughs> it is super into the little twists that it thinks is going to blow your mind and keep you watching episode to episode. Like I'd mentioned in episode four, when we learn that they have a brother that they had never met before, ooh, and it doesn't actually develop the characters to do stuff like that. It's just a little teaser to make you think that something interesting is happening. 
it kind of feels like a soap opera where because things happen all the time, it takes away from anything actually being impactful. And all of this to say, I think I can kind of see what the director or the writer is going for here. And it's that they want to be the next Death Note. Mm. Which you already have strong feelings about. Right, because I think that show also lays it on real thick. Constantly. In a lot of (laughs) monologues. (laughs) Yeah, and that show kind of did the same thing. as It would go between these sort of intense action scenes to light, especially just talking and explaining everything that he's doing instead of showing what he's doing and then potentially like like twisting the camera and kind of being like, aha, like you thought you knew what he was doing, but he's actually doing this, is they literally have him talking over what he's doing to explain what's happening. Yeah, and I don't want to spend too much time on Death Note again. <laughs> But also, like, that show suffered from the same problems, which is there wasn't actually any character growth in that whole show. Light was always light. He was always evil. He flipped a switch as soon as he got the Death Note and was super evil, and he never stopped being super evil. And L was just always, like, the super genius, quirky detective guy, and none of them changed or grew at all. And then they blew it all later on, too. But we'll <laughs> Which get into maybe that. this show would do that, too. Pro- it seems like it. Like, <laughs> they seem to have the same goals and trajectory and the same methods for showing what these characters are doing and how the story's progressing. So, with all of that being said, would you watch more of this? Uh, I'm going to say no. Question mark. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of on the cusp on this one, and I think it's mostly just because we've been kind of bouncing between really bad stuff and really great stuff. And so having this one that, like, just has so many flaws to it, but at the same time, like, it's got great animation. And I kind of think the idea of the, the, like, ancient doll god things that they're controlling with these unknown origins is kind of interesting and all of the really sort of background information about the show is fine they're just doing such a bad job with execution it's like you said earlier um i'm just not super interested in the characters at this point and i kind of already know where it's going just based on like my understanding of how a lot of this kind of anime writing works and being able to spot from a distance where they're trying to go. I'm also going to say no for a lot of the same reasons. And, and sort of a personal preference that I've talked about before, I tend to get more invested in shows that have really good characters because that's a really important aspect of storytelling for me and because the show really fails to make their characters themselves interesting rather than just have interesting things happen to them I don't find myself caring if those interesting things happen or not 
So while I agree that there's parts of the show that are interesting and there's parts of the premise that I would find interesting, I don't frankly care about them because I am not invested in the characters at all. So I'm good. Well, scratch another one off the verve list and <laughs> maybe we can actually watch some of those other ones that we haven't gotten back to yet. <laughs> As we wrap up the show, if you want to learn more about Anna Monday, you can visit our website at annamonday.moe. That's annamonday.moe. And if you have any questions or want to send us any comments, you can send us an email at podcast at annamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our username is annamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media so that you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show, which come from the Senpai EPs available on Bandcamp and other major streaming services. Are you ready for this week's roll? I think we're ready for you to roll. <gasps> I get to roll? Okay, and random button in three, two, one. All right, and the show for this week is called Magical Circle Guru Guru. Oh, what? This looks way too happy. <laughs> the first episode is called Departure Bow Ring Village. This looks very different than this last week's. Mm -hmm. Almost kind of has a, like, Toei animation vibe to it. Yes, definitely. Well, this will be very interesting. Maybe. <laughs> At least it'll be different. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for joining us. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Solve equations with my right hand and write names with my left. I'll take a potato chip and eat it.